Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. What is man that you are mindful of him, we just sang, and indeed it is true, God is great and majestic, and yet he calls us into his presence, so we know we need to confess our sins. Romans 1 is our call to confession today, verses 18 through 21. Hear God's word. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Thus far the reading of God's word. In a moment, we'll read the Catechism, which reminds us that our situation is one of sinfulness, one of misery apart from Christ. We are guilty, and we lack the righteousness that we need to be accepted by the Holy God. Uh, our misery is that we have lost communion with our God. That's the biggest misery indeed. And it's why communion on the Lord's Day is such a big deal. Our relationship with God has been restored in Christ. Thank God. But it's important to recall that apart from Christ, all men remain under God's wrath, under his curse. We are consigned, and perfectly fairly, by the way, consigned to death and hell forever. And Romans 1 here tells us that we deserve this since God makes himself known well enough for us to be guilty when we turn from him. We refuse to glorify him. We refuse to thank him for our life, for all his gifts. And this is a damnable offense. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins. I encourage you to kneel if you are able, and we'll pray. I'll pray our prayer of confession. through 1 Peter off and on for the past few months. We're in 1 Peter chapter 4, the first six verses. Let's pray before we read God's word once again. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this great indescribable gift of having your word to be able to read. You have revealed yourself clearly, infallibly. We pray that by your spirit you would help us to understand Uh, and to to delight in this word, uh, and to uh, work with your spirit to be conformed to the image of Christ, the living word. We pray in his name. Amen. 1 Peter 4, the first six verses. Again, hear God's inerrant word. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our time, past lifetime, in doing the will of the Gentiles. 
when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. The grass withers, the flower fades, but this word of God stands forever. And God's people said, Amen. Well, back to First Peter here. My plan is to finish uh, the, the letter in the next maybe five weeks, four to six weeks, something like that. And then we'll have a few weeks before Resurrection Day to consider Lent and Passion Week. So that's the plan for the next few months. Here in 1 Peter 4, we see uh, Peter going once again back and forth a bit between some deep theology and some practical application. And he's back in the practical how we're living kind of idea in this section. And he tells us essentially, prepare for trials mentally. Uh, Arm yourselves uh, to suffer. And we do that with the word of God. And we ought to take comfort in the sure judgment of the wicked and in our sure future life with God. That's uh, Peter's uh, overall theme. He's been talking about that throughout, how the wicked, God can judge the wicked and God can save us. Uh, that was the last uh, section. If you, I don't know what the paragraph breaks are like in your Bible. Uh, most don't have some kind of heading at the beginning of chapter 4. There's more of a connection from chapter 3, verse 18 to the end of our reading today. So those chapter breaks are often a little bit they're a little dicey. Don't always rely on those to meet. There's an absolute break here. And I think that these, uh, the, the last paragraph before what we just read, there's a lot of connections, and I'll be making those kind of connections here. So let's look through this uh, one verse at a time. The first connection is quite obvious. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us, right? So if you go back up to chapter 3, verse 18, you see, for Christ also suffered once for sins. He's, he's hearkening back to that. This is the same paragraph yet, really. So Peter here is assuming we are called to suffer for Jesus. So since Christ suffered for us, back to verse 1, in the flesh, uh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. Arm yourself. Interesting phrase there. Equip yourself. Get ready. Prepare. Uh, That's the idea, and that's what took me to the armor of God section. Put on the full armor of God. Well, what is that armor? Faith. The Word of God, righteousness. That's how we arm ourselves. So, uh, and as I looked in the commentaries, many of them said the main way that we do this is with the Word of God. That's how we, how else are we to get the mind of Christ other than by looking to what He's given us, what He has spoken to us? That's how you learn someone's mind, is by hearing what they say. And here's what Jesus has said to us. So, arm yourselves. I have a personal illustration of this. I don't do personal illustrations all that much, but uh, I've got a couple today. Uh, I've got this uh, minor medical condition that has me get uh, occasional blood draws. So I have to go in and sit there, and they take a, whatever it is, a unit of blood. And I don't like needles. It makes me woozy. I've fainted a couple of times. So I found myself sometimes when I go into that, and I know the poke is coming, and sometimes it takes two or three pokes, and that's just an ordeal. I find myself sometimes arming myself with scripture. Uh, I'll bring to mind some scripture, like, like David fighting Goliath. 
or Samson with the jawbone of the donkey fighting the Philistines, right? Or, or the Hebrews 11 saints facing lions, being sawn in two, right? If they did that, surely I can handle this needle, right? That's kind of the, the mental warfare that I fight to, to arm myself to suffer, you know, minor suffering, right? That's, that's just a small example of what Peter's saying here. Equip yourself for suffering with the same mind that Jesus had for his. Uh, what did Jesus have in mind as he suffered? He went through that to obey God, to follow God's plan, to glorify God. If Jesus could do that, that's our calling as well. And last point on this verse that I'll make is, if we're, if we're going to arm ourselves with the word of God, if that's the best way to go about it, we have to make sure that we're not being shaped in our minds by other things. We have to watch that we're not shaped more by social media or by news reports or by podcasts, even good ones. We need to shape ourselves by the word of God, right? First and foremost. So it's interesting that in the next paragraph, the next few verses, seven through nine or so, uh, Peter, uh, he tells us exactly how to arm ourselves for suffering. And what he does is he quotes the Bible. So we need to continue to go back to the word, to gain the mind of Christ, to be shaped in our thoughts by that mind. The answer, by the way, of how we're to prepare for suffering is next week, and it's quite surprising. So that's your your teaser to come back next week. Uh, So that's verse one. You're going to suffer. Prepare to do so as Jesus did. Suffer like Jesus did, thinking what he was thinking. Uh, Now, verse 2, that Jesus no longer, not Jesus, excuse me, that that the man, uh, let's see, better back up. There's a big, long sentence here, right? Arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered has ceased from sin, that he no longer, we'll come back to cease for sin, that's a strange one, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. So at the end of that sentence, Peter makes a strong contrast between those who are living for God and those who are living for themselves. There's a basic difference between those who are converted and those who are not. What are you living for? Is the way Peter puts it here. This is why we read from Psalm 1 at the beginning of the service. Strong contrast between blessed is the man who does not walk, right? Not so the wicked. There's a a basic difference there. Uh, And it's the same kind of difference between those who have suffered and those who have not right? You should no longer live the rest of your time in the flesh for the lusts of men. He who has suffered in the flesh, back to the end of verse 1, has ceased from sin. Interesting phrase. Part of what he's saying, I think, is if if you haven't suffered or faced death closely, you tend to be tied too much to the cares of this world, right? Suffering and seeing death up close has a way of connecting you to the next world, realizing your mortality, Realizing that uh, hard times here uh, will, will pass and there will be a future and an eternity that's greater. I think that's the point. If you suffer for Christ, you tend to put away sin more. And we can look at uh, several uh, scripture on that. One we sang uh, earlier in Psalm 94. Uh, 94 is always a bit of an uncomfortable one to sing, right? God of vengeance, O Jehovah, slay the wicked is the last phrase that we sing. But right in the middle of it, it says, blessed is the one you chastise. 
right? Blessed is the one you chastise. We have the same thing in Hebrews 12. We didn't go there today, but that's the same idea. God is disciplining you as sons. That's the same thing as we read in Psalm 119. I'll read some of those Psalm 119 verses again. Those are glorious. Uh, verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. See the point there. Verse, uh, no, which one? Verse 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. And there's one more in the next section. Where did that go? Can't find it now. There's one more in the next section. But you get the point. Ah, verse 75. Uh, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right, and that in, a, in faithfulness you have afflicted me. When God brings trouble into our lives, he's doing that for a purpose and for our good. And that's often hard to see or to feel in the moment. But that's what's going on. And the one who has suffered ceases from sin. That's part of the idea there. Just a bit more personal uh, testimony, illustration on this. I've experienced this myself. Uh, my life uh, for the first 20 years or so was a pretty charmed life. I didn't experience much in the way of suffering, health problems. Um, life was pretty smooth. And then I went into the ministry, and things got a little more rocky. And I'm talking like 10, 13, 15 years ago. And until you've suffered, you haven't really answered the question, am I living for God, or am I just living for myself? And, and suffering or discipline, these are decision points that God brings into our life to say, which way are you going to go here? Are you really going to follow me? Or are you just uh, smooth sailing along in life as long as nothing goes wrong? Are we willing to suffer for Jesus, to take up the cross and follow him? Or do we wind up bearing our cross with bitter resentment? I shouldn't have to do this, Lord. Suffering, like discipline, can turn you away from God. You get angry with him. Or suffering can turn you closer to him which is what it's designed to do. Kids, young people, you ought to think about this a little bit. When your mom or dad have to correct you, little ones have to spank you, or take something away from you that you want, or make you do something you don't want to do, kids, you, you, you see it sometimes with your two-year-old little brother or sister, don't you? Sometimes they cry, sometimes they angry cry, right? Sometimes they yell out, no, no, right? Uh, the, the word in the, in the Greek and in the Hebrew here is stiffen the neck. You ever see your toddler do that? Like when you're correcting them, they actually do this. Right? There's, the Hebrew is very physiological in the language like that. We get stubborn like that. We can throw tantrums. Right? And adults can do the same thing when they have trouble in life. We find our own ways to throw a fit at God. Or we submit to his correction. We try to learn the lesson that he's teaching us. That's what Peter's getting at here. He who has, is, has suffered ceases from sin. And we're living for God now, not for our own desires. That made me think of a, an old, old hymn that I used to sing in Cadets. I don't know if you've heard of Cadets. It was kind of a Dutch Reformed version of Awana. Uh, went, went to that midweek. 
And at the end of it, every time 20 boys standing around in a circle trying to sing a cappella, this old hymn, it was quite memorable. Uh, but this, it goes, living for Jesus, a life that is true, striving to please him in all that I do. Such love constrains me to answer his call, follow his leading, and give him my all. That's what we're doing. We're living for Jesus. And so Peter makes that point in chapter 4, verse 2. There's this difference. Some people are living for God. Much of the world is just living for themselves. And he uh, continues on in that last theme, verse 3. We have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, drunkenness, revelries, and, and the like. We spend enough of our time in that dissipation, he calls it, a flood of dissipation in verse 4. Uh, that's an interesting word, dissipation. It kind of means you know, rest, reckless disregard of boundaries or propriety. Or you think of um, water that's in a glass and then you spill it and it just dissipates everywhere, right? It's like, like, like a dam that bursts and the water just goes anywhere it can find. That's how a lot of people live their lives. They just run with their energies and their wants anywhere they can go. That's dissipation. We can't do that with our lives because we're living for God. Not even with our leisure time. It's great to relax, to be entertained in our leisure time, but to do anything we want, whenever we want, that's not living for God. To be led by big tech or by marketing campaigns on how to spend all of our free time, that's a bad idea. Don't dissipate your energy. Uh, parents with little ones, you know exactly what this means. That your energies are seldom dissipated. Your energy is focused in on those little monsters. I mean those covenant blessings. Right? You're focused on them every minute of the day. We've got to get them fed. We've got to make sure they don't touch that, fall there. Your energy is not dissipated. And there's a kind of a natural constraint there that, that, that moves you to that. Uh, but many people don't have that, right? On the other end of the spectrum, you've got the 30-year-old who's living in his parents' basement yet, munching Cheetos, surfing the internet, finding inane memes and YouTube videos that are mildly amusing, and finding much worse to dissipate his, his desires upon. That's dissipation. No, we're called to give some thought to how we're going to expend our energy and our time. Maybe you're an empty nester, or you're waiting for children, or you're looking for marriage, and you have some extra time there on your hands. Think through how to use it well to serve the Lord. So don't be dissipated like that. And, and then again, we're living for Jesus. Back to the ceased for sin thing, from sin. What does that mean, ceased from sin? Peter's point there isn't that if you're a Christian, you don't do these things at all anymore. It, it can't mean that because we interpret Scripture with Scripture. First John says if we say we have no sin, we're lying. So Peter's point, I think, is to show how we're different from the rest of the world now. And his point is to exhort us not to continue in sin. Uh, if you go to Romans 6, verse 11, uh, you see that. I'm going to turn there a moment. Romans 6, 11. In the beginning of Romans 6, he's talking about baptism, how, how in our baptism we die as Christ died, and we live with him too. And so, uh, verse 10, For the death that he died, he died to sin 
right? There's the same idea of ceased from sin. Uh, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. There again, Peter's thinking about how we're to live for God. And then verse 11, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God. And notice the rich connection here, because again, the passage before in Peter, what did he talk about? Baptism. How baptism, God can save us using things like the ark or baptism. And, and so Peter is thinking just, along, just the same as Paul. In baptism, we have died with Christ to sin. So count yourselves dead to sin. It's a fascinating verse, verse uh, Romans 6, 11. Uh, I, I always like this fact about this verse. It's the first imperative verb in the whole book of Romans. So you get, you get to chapter 6 before Paul says one thing to the Romans to do. It's, before that, it's all gospel presentation. It's all, this is what God has done, this is what you were. But Romans 6.11, what's the first thing we should do then? Count yourself dead to sin. And that's what Peter's getting at here with the uh, cease from sin idea. It, it, I like to think about Israel coming out of Egypt in the same way. Right? Israel coming out of Egypt still had the same temptations to not trust God, right? to crave meat, to be sexually immoral at the golden calf. We have the same besetting sins that we saw Israel have in the wilderness. Right? Anger and rage, lust and porn, craving food and drink too much, reviling rulers, not trusting God's providence and complaining. These are all the things Israel did in the desert. There's an old saying that I, I uh, like. It says that God got, it was pretty easy for God to get Israel out of Egypt, but then he had to get Egypt out of Israel. Right? Israel still had the ways of Egypt within them, and God uh, worked on sanctifying his people. He's still doing that work. So that's the, the cease from sin idea. And another thing about this verse in verse 3, uh, where Peter says, we've spent enough of our past lifetime doing these things the Gentiles did, right? That's an interesting rhetorical tactic, right? Most of us, we would think when, when Peter, when God's word considers the lascivious lifestyle of the Gentiles, that Peter would just say, stop it, that's wrong and that's wicked which it is, but he takes kind of a different tack. He says, you know, we've spent enough time doing that. <laughs> That's a, kind of a different response. Uh, also a good one, because that Gentile uh, heathen lifestyle, it's a dead end. It's a cul-de-sac that leads nowhere. And Peter, who grew up in a faithful home, we think, had an uncanny sense of the despair and the dead end of the Gentile life. We've spent enough time doing that. Like it, it, it's a whole other pragmatic argument for why we ought to live for God. Because that, that's actually a meaningful life. Uh, so Peter uh, uses that approach. And then, I'm in Romans yet here. Let me get back to 1 Peter 4. We go next to uh, verses 4 and 5. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in this flood of dissipation. They speak evil of you. Or blaspheme, they, it's, it is in the Greek. Uh, here's an important thing to remember as, as these believers were uh, beginning to experience suffering, uh, persecution, harassment. It's something we need to consider too. In, in our culture, we're moving into that kind of setting as well. Uh, unbelievers uh, think that you're weird. <laughs> they think that we're crazy. 
to live so differently, with self-control, to live not for yourself. And they blaspheme because of it. And Peter's saying here, God's going to judge them. You don't have to worry about that. Uh, young people, just want to talk to you again one more time. Uh, I think that you are often most tempted at this point. Because often the worst thing for you is when other friends think that you are weird or strange. Right? They make fun of you. And as Christians, we need to be willing to be misunderstood. We need to be willing to be mocked for our faith. Uh, just a lighthearted illustration of this I found in Lord of the Rings. At the end, when Sam and Frodo come back, uh, Sam has been interested in Rosie all along, right? And just as they're starting to go scour the Shire, Sam goes off to see Rosie a minute. And he just says, hey, I just wanted to see you. I've got to get back to Mr. Frodo. We're going we're to have this ruckus. And there's this funny, funny line. Uh, he, Rosie says to him, well, go then. If you've been looking after Mr. Frodo all this while, what did you want to leave him for as soon as things look dangerous? And if you know the story, that's just so exasperating because Sam was stuck with Frodo through everything, through Mount Doom. He didn't leave as soon as things looked dangerous. She had no clue what he had just done. But there's, that's what she sees. She sees Sam just leaving Frodo at the drop of a hat. And the Tolkien's line next is, this was too much for Sam. It needed a week's answer. It's like, oh, you don't understand, Rosie, what Sam has just been through. So there are, we have those moments. Uh, that's a, a lighthearted one. But we have those moments where we, we see how uh, people interact with us. Maybe we see a news report about Christianity in the news. And we think, you just have no clue. You, you don't understand. And, and that's the way Peter puts it in verse 4. They, they will think you strange. And we need to be okay with that to one level. Now, we want to bridge the gap wherever we can, right? Chapter before, Peter said, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in you. If they start to mock or ridicule or say you're crazy, be ready with an answer if possible. But they're going to think you're crazy. So, verse 6 is the last verse today, and it's a doozy. A tricky one to understand. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. So here we have a similar issue that we did in the last paragraph. And remember, that last paragraph, that's the weird one where it talks about Christ preaching to the spirits in prison and all of that, right? So there's two ways that I think you could, you could read this. They both lead to the same point. So again, we'll get to the same pastoral point, which I'll emphasize, even if these views are... Um, uh, it's divided on what, what's going on here. Uh, one view on this verse is that this could be talking about Christ preaching to the dead in Hades, just like in the, the verses before. And he's taking the faithful from that Sheol up to glory. And that's called the harrowing of hell. Uh, it's, a, it's a view that George Grant and Doug Wilson both adopt today. Uh, but it also needs to be admitted that uh, few people in Reformed history have held that view. So uh, maybe, uh, and it's something to consider and look at, but maybe not. The other way to look at it is that it refers to the general preaching to all people, most of whom are now dead, that God's going to judge the living and the dead. And on earth, believers are judged by men and often condemned, 
And death is also a judgment by God in our flesh for our sin, generally, even if its sting is taken away for believers. But as we receive and trust God's word faithfully preached, we will live after death by God's spirit. So that's another way to read that verse 6. And really, either way, the point is the same. I, personally, I think you can believe both of those viewpoints. They're, they're rather compatible. But if you only take one or the other, the, the point is the same. Preaching the word reveals the difference in people. Some reject it, and they reject God. And those people will give believers a hard time, but they're going to be judged for that. And that's why we sang Psalm 94 again. But others receive the word and trust God. And they're going to suffer, but they'll be vindicated. That's the idea. So the preaching of the word is what Peter comes down to here. Uh, receiving the word. That's what makes all the difference. And Peter's reminding his readers of that because they're in a place where they're starting to suffer under the earthly judgment, the judgment of people, of rulers, of neighbors. And the judgment of people around them are becoming more and more negative. And they're getting alarmed by that. And that's very much the situation we find ourselves in. It's part of the reason I am going through Peter here. And we need to remember what Peter's main point is to that. We tend to think that the judgment of men makes all the difference. You know, if they decide I have to be vaxxed at work, the world has come to an end. Well, actually, no, it hasn't, even if it is a great wrong done to you. you now, compare that to the early Christian martyrs. If, if, if the emperor decides I'm going to be fed to the lions in the arena, the world has come to an end. Well, actually, no, it hasn't. Your life on earth has but God's going to judge and right all wrongs in the end with an eternity to enjoy his vindication. That's part of Peter's point. God is ready to judge the living and the dead. Verse 5. This is why we read the creeds every week. This is one of those pastoral reasons we read the creeds every week. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. We often skim through those lines without much thinking. But that is such sound comfort that God will come back and will judge. We, we think of that as a, a, a harsh thing, but it's a, also a great comfort to his people. So, receive the word of God. Uh, understand uh, that you need to suffer as Christ did, looking to God, trusting him, obeying his plan. Prepare for trials mentally with the word of God. Take comfort in the sure judgment of the wicked and in our sure future life with God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word. We do pray that you would give us the mind of Christ. Uh, by your Holy Spirit, lead us, draw us into your word, into the wise counsel of believers around us. Uh, lead us, Lord, by your Spirit, that we know best how to respond to adversity and to blessing. Lord, when you uh, bring us good things, uh, help us not to turn to ourselves and to our own desires. Uh, when you uh, remove things from our lives, uh, when you bring trouble into our lives, uh, help us, Lord, not to curl into ourselves either, but to continue to look to you in faith, to trust you for all that we have uh, for every day in our lives. 
Lord, all this we pray in the name of Jesus, the ever-living Word. And we sing as we talk. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. And 1 Corinthians 11, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This table, this worship service, is not meant as a place to hide from the world, to keep from them, to keep them from knowing what is going on here to keep us safe from their prying eyes. No, this table is set in the presence of our enemies. We still have the world, the flesh, and the devil opposing us as we pursue Christ. But this table is the best way to arm ourselves with the mind of Christ, to prepare for trouble. We proclaim his death until he comes. He made the ultimate sacrifice to bring us to God. Surely we can make lesser sacrifices for him. And as a result, he has received the ultimate exaltation and blessing as a result. We too will be blessed and exalted with life and reward as we trust and follow him. So come and welcome to the Lord Jesus. We invite to the Lord's table all those who are baptized and who are under the authority of Christ and his body, the church. By eating the bread and drinking the wine with us, you are acknowledging that you are a sinner without hope except in the sovereign mercy of God, that you are trusting in Christ alone for salvation. So come and welcome to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.